Praise the Lord and welcome to the teaching today. Uh, we just finished a teaching on the subject of the help of the Holy Spirit. And of course, as believers, <coughs> excuse me, as believers, we all need, want, and desire, we have to have the help of the Holy Spirit in order to live the kind of Christian life that we ought to live and be the kind of Christian that we need to be. So now, we, I, I want to urge you to get that series. It's a two-disc series on the help of the Holy Spirit. We told you how that because of Calvary, because of what Jesus did at the cross, that we can have all of the benefits that Christ purchased for us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring that into the life of a believer. And of course we know that the Holy Spirit, one of his major functions in our lives is to get every bit of sin out of us. And it's called the sanctification process and we briefly touched on that in that teaching as well. That's a two tape, a two disc teaching, the help of the Holy Spirit. Now for today's lesson, uh, the teaching today, we want to go back sort of to the beginning uh, we're teaching all this week on the Holy Spirit and we want to look today at some attributes and symbols of the Holy Spirit and this is important because as you read the Word of God and you're going to read across the symbology that the Bible uses to convey truth about the Holy Spirit's work uh, such as some of his symbols we're going to get to later on oil water etc. and so forth. Uh, and as you read, it will help you to know uh, about these things. So before we get to the actual attributes and symbols of the Holy Spirit, let's go over some basic concepts by way of review and just sort of uh, lay a little foundation for the teaching today. The Holy Spirit is talked about today as much as any member of the Godhead. And so the question must be asked, exactly who or what is the Holy Spirit? To properly understand the person of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential if you and I are going to be the kind of Christians that we should be. Now there's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ today as it regards the Holy Spirit and His work. There's a lot of error as it refers to the Holy Spirit today making the rounds in the church. So we want to address ourselves uh, to these issues. It might be best if we would begin by telling you and stating for you what the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not a thing or an it. It always bothers me when I hear someone refer to the Holy Spirit as it. The Holy Spirit's not an it. It's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not a material or ethereal substance. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force or energy such as electricity, uh, radiation, magnetism, or anything of this nature. The Holy Spirit is not a quality of goodness or love or morality or anything of this nature. The Holy Spirit is not a fuzzy, abstract idea. The Holy Spirit is not a universal mind or some vague, life-giving force. And since the Holy Spirit is none of these, 
then just who or what is the Holy Spirit? First of all, the Holy Spirit, beloved, is a person. He is a person, a real being who thinks, acts, wills, feels, loves, and speaks. He exhibits all of the responses that identify one as a person. The Holy Spirit cannot be seen by the natural eye, but his actions fulfill all the requirements of a personality. In Acts, the 13th chapter, the second verse, we read this. Acts 13, 2, it says, The Holy Ghost said, Now we have the Holy Spirit speaking. And he said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So as the Holy Spirit refers to himself here, he uses the pronouns I and me. These words identify a person and not some abstract idea. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is not only a person, but he is also deity. He is the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity. This does not mean that the Holy Spirit is one-third God, nor one-third of God. God cannot be divided. Neither does this mean that he is one of three gods. God is one God, Deuteronomy 6.4. Yet he is eternally self-existing in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each of these persons is fully God, yet each is an individual person within himself. Jesus is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Amen. Now, because we're working with our human minds, it's, it's pretty difficult for us to try to picture three individuals in perfect agreement, perfect harmony. I mean, if any three of us tried to accomplish something, we'd have to have a committee, and a committee uh, would argue and debate and finally vote on matters, and the majority would rule. Or all three on the committee would compromise on some type of middle ground somewhere. But the Godhead doesn't work this way. The Trinity does not work this way. All three members of the Godhead are God, which infers infinite knowledge, infinite love, infinite mercy, and infinite justice. All three are always and eternally in complete agreement on everything. Okay? There's no division in God. There is always one perfect solution to anything, whether or not we as humans can see this. God is omniscient, all-knowing, and thus always knows, beloved, the perfect way for anything to be done and accomplished. It is therefore possible for three beings to be in perfect unity at all times if those three have infinite, unrestricted, unending knowledge. This is why it's possible to have three members in one, which is what the words triune, trinity, and Godhead describe. It is three individual personalities, each with his own awareness and mission, occupying the position of God. 
uh, probably the closest analogy we might make in today's uh, social structure, and, and let me tell you, it is a poor analogy, but it would be the juntas which rule some countries of today. They're groups of men, often military men, who jointly act as the leadership of those countries. They rule the nation, uh, although there is more than one co-equal person comprising the junta. Now, corrupt, flawed, and inadequate politicians or generals are a poor parallel, to be sure, to the triune God. They argue and bicker and often plot to overthrow one another, and in so doing demonstrate the difference between men and God. But the three persons of the Godhead, on the other hand, never argue or debate. Each one knows at all times, even before things happen, what should be done and what will be done. We have perfect knowledge in the Godhead. They don't even have to discuss matters. Each of them knows before, during, and after what should and will happen. The final result, as we all know, will be what is termed God's will. Everything happens for good for those who love the Lord, Romans 8.28. And thus, the three persons who constitute God agree together always, never debating, never voting, and never disagreeing. Praise the Lord. All three members of the Trinity are equal in omniscience, knowledge of everything, and thus have three minds that act as one. Praise the Lord. They are a unity. And the Holy Spirit possesses all the attributes that both God the Father and God the Son possess. Let's look in the book of Acts again. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And the Bible says, Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And then... Just a sentence or two later, Peter says, Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So this confirms that the Holy Spirit is God, because Scripture here states that when Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, he was at the same time lying to God. Numerous Scriptures could be cited to demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. In Matthew 28, 19, <clears throat> Jesus said, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. In John chapter 4, verse 24, it's written, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Another scripture linking the Spirit with God is to be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit. Praise God, I love that. The Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Many times the Bible will state in one place that God said certain things, and then in another place it will say that it was the Holy Spirit who said them. Now this is not incorrect, neither is it a, a contradiction. It's completely correct because the Holy Spirit is God. For example, 
in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, it says that Israel tempted the Lord. The word translated Lord there is Jehovah or God. This is referred to again in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 9, where Paul states that they tempted the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Jehovah God. Praise the Lord. Again, in Jeremiah 31, 33, it says that Jehovah gave a promise concerning the new covenant. The writer to the Hebrews refers back to this and said it was the Holy Spirit who spoke this promise. Hebrews 10, 15. So it's obvious that within Scripture that the Holy Spirit is God, a member of the Godhead. And there are many, many more references that we could look at, but uh, due to saving time and whatever, we just give you those. And uh, if you'll look at that in your Bibles, it will be sufficient for you to see. Now, sometimes it does get a little bit confusing to some people to hear the term Holy Spirit used, and at other times uh, the term Holy Ghost is used. There's really no difference. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost mean exactly the same thing. In St. John 7, verse 37 and 38, we read, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Then the 39th verse goes on to explain, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. In this very scripture here, this one, this one passage section, both spirit and ghost are used, both referring to the, the same divine person. In the original manuscript, the Greek word used for spirit and ghost was pneuma. Uh, P-N-E-U-M-A. It literally means breath or breeze. This, this word came to be used for a spirit or a ghost, uh, which could make a candle flame, flutter, and leaves rustle, and etc., etc. It has some spooky connotations to it in the Old English, and it probably would have been better translated spirit, Holy Spirit, uh, all the way through the Bible, but it's really no difference between the two terminologies there. Uh, what it boils down to is that the third person of the Trinity was referred to by the apostles as God's pneuma, or it could be translated God's breath, the breath of God, the essence of God, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost. Um, most often, these two terms are used interchangeably. Uh, the expression ghost is an old English word, and its meaning has changed a bit since King James ordered his translation. Today, when one says ghost, you usually think of a haunted house, a disembodied spirit floating around, causing terror. Uh, today's ghosts are invariably evil. However, the word ghost originally did not have these spooky meanings and connotations attached to them. Okay, so... I most often myself will use the term the Holy Spirit, but if, if, if you hear or use the term Holy Ghost, we know what you're saying and it's not wrong uh, to use that terminology.
Now, I want us to look at some characteristics and attributes of the Holy Spirit uh, in this teaching today. First of all, the Holy Spirit is individual. Uh, indivisible, I'm sorry. He is, he is an individual. Yes, he is. We just told you how that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is indivisible. He is God. In Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, it says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Hallelujah. However, John, in Revelation, relating his vision, speaks of seven spirits of God. Look at Revelation 1.4, 3.1, and 5.6. John was caught up in a vision and saw heaven, the throne, God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. John also saw the elders, the angels, and events that were to take place in the future. And during all this, he refers to the seven spirits. The word spirits is capitalized, meaning the Holy Spirit, of course. Now, in the original Greek manuscripts inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by John, this word would not have been capitalized because capital, capital letters uh, were not used until centuries later. Okay? But capitalization of certain words, punctuation, divisions of scripture in the chapter and verse were additions made by the translators of the original documents. This was done, of course, to make our study of the Bible easier and that every one of us could learn the truth of God's word. Amen. The number seven, however, need not be confusing to us in Bible terminology and typology. The word seven means completion and perfection. Seven is often said to be God's number. Therefore, this does not necessarily mean that John saw seven Holy Spirits but rather a total and complete and perfect Spirit of God. Amen. Let's read Revelation 5.6. It says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. What it's saying here, Jesus is naturally the Lamb in this scripture. And the Spirit of God is there with or upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit aided Jesus Christ in all the work which he did. Of course, the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, God the Father is God. These three are united but distinct. They are all of one purpose one design, one desire. They are one in fulfillment of their duties pertaining to the Trinity. Yet there are certain statements that can be made about one that don't apply to all. You can, in other words, you can make certain statements about each of the three that don't apply to all of the three. Jesus is the Son of the Father. He is not the Father of the Son. So you cannot say that Jesus is the Father while you can say that Jesus is the Son. Conversely, the Father is not the Son, but Jesus is the Son. 
The Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son, while neither the Father nor the Son proceed from the Holy Spirit. In referring to the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself said that you may say a word against him, it will not be forgiven you. If you speak against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven you. Jesus pointed out that you could say something against the Heavenly Father or even the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and it could be forgiven. If you ask for forgiveness, I might add quickly. But he stressed that blasphemy against the Holy Ghost would not be forgiven. So there is a difference even in what can be said to each or about each. Jesus was on earth when he came to redeem man. God the Father did not come to earth to redeem man. He sent Jesus to accomplish this task. The Holy Spirit was not present on earth at that time. The Holy, the Holy Spirit was only sent to be man's comforter after Jesus departed to sit at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is now present upon this earth. While God the Father and Jesus, God the Son, are in heaven, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And the Father does not, of course, sit at the right hand of Jesus. We know that there is an omnipresent factor in the locations of three members of the Trinity. But still, these are specific differences that should be noted. In other words, in reality, in factuality, God the Father is everywhere, God the Son is everywhere, and God the Holy Ghost is everywhere, all at the same time. Praise God. While there are differences in descriptions, the Holy Spirit is totally God. The Father is totally God, and the Son is totally God. Amen. The Holy Spirit is eternal. This means that he always was, is now, and ever shall be. The Holy Spirit had no beginning and will have no end. In Hebrews 9, 14, here's what the Bible says. Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself. This confirms the fact that the Holy Spirit is eternal. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. This means he's present everywhere at once. The Holy Spirit has all the omni attributes of the Godhead. Let's look at Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Praise God. It is impossible to escape the presence of the Spirit of God because He is everywhere. A sinner under conviction might move from the community in which he was first touched by the Spirit of God, thinking that he can escape the Holy Spirit. But even changing a particular environment or a set of circumstances, changing your church, changing your preacher, you will still not be able to rid yourself or rid your heart of the feeling of conviction. Wherever you flee, sir, the Holy Spirit will be there. You will not escape the Holy Ghost. 
Wherever the sinner goes, the Holy Spirit's there waiting your arrival, faithfully reproving of sin and pointing you to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is also omniscient. This is another uh, of the omni-attributes. It's omniscience. It means that the Holy Spirit is all-knowing and all-wise. The Holy Spirit's wisdom cannot be increased. You and I can increase our knowledge and we can increase our wisdom. But the Holy Spirit has all knowledge and all wisdom. He already knows all things. So it can't be increased. <clears throat> Let's look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 and 14. It says, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? See, the Holy Spirit doesn't need a teacher. The Holy Spirit doesn't need a counselor. He is the counselor. Hallelujah. And he is the teacher. With whom took he counsel? Who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. Nobody directs, counsels, or teaches the Holy Spirit. Praise God. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. He is perfect in knowledge and perfect in understanding. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, we read this declaration. The deep things of God are always open to the Holy Spirit. He knows everything that God the Father knows. The Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God, the Bible says. The deepest limits of knowledge are an open book to the Holy Spirit. Praise God. We need to hook up with Him because He'll lead us and guide us in the way that we ought to go. Praise God. The Holy Spirit is not only omnipresent and omniscient, but He's omnipotent. And that means all-powerful. He is all-powerful. It is impossible for him to become more powerful. In Micah, chapter 2, verse 7, another question is asked, Is the Spirit of the Lord straightened? The word straightened in the King James means narrowed. It suggests being limited or restricted. The text is literally asking us, Is the Spirit of the Lord restricted? And of course, the answer would be a resounding no. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit cannot be restricted. He is all-powerful. His power, ladies and gentlemen, is seen both in the creation and, his, and in His work in the world today. Someone would ask, well, if He's all-powerful, why doesn't He do something about the problems that exist in our world? He could do anything He wanted. But there is the factor of mercy here. Mercy mixed with compassion and love. You see, when the Holy Spirit does finally intrude to bring forth God's righteous kingdom on earth, all problems will be divinely removed. But at that moment, everyone's second chance will be lost. The mercy involved in this means that judgment is currently being withheld. Compassion and love enter in because the sinner is being given the opportunity for salvation, praise God, and for redemption from sin before God finally intervenes. There is a time when judgment will come, evil will be punished, and the orders of God the Father eternally established throughout creation. This will happen. 
the orders of God will be carried out. His will, the will of God, will be done with eternal punishment for those who have not responded to God's mercy and love. Those who have not responded to His mercy and love, the great tribulation is coming when the Holy Spirit will resolutely carry out the orders of God the Father and God's wrath will be poured out upon this earth. Even though, ladies and gentlemen, neighbor friend of mine today, even though evil isn't immediately stopped and punished, and the power of the Holy Ghost immediately demonstrated, the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. He is omnipotent, and you better know it, and you better believe it. Amen? He is referred to in Luke 1.35 as the power of the highest. In other words, the Holy Spirit is power personified. He is fully God. And through Him, the power of the entire Godhead is fully expressed. It's God's desire that every believer be fully tapped in to this power. Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Endowment with power by the Holy Spirit is the life of the Christian. And it's very important. Baptism in the Holy Spirit gives one power. It is not to get one ready for heaven. Because as we know, a person is saved by grace through faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction. But one of the main purposes, one of the primary reasons for the Holy Ghost's very existence is to, to give Christians the power to live godly lives. Hallelujah. And, and as I said earlier, we talked to you extensively about that uh, in our two CD series on the help of the Holy Spirit. And we need you to get that and study all about it. The Holy Spirit wants to give us the power to live godly lives. Holy Spirit power is actually the essence, the essence of Christian living. The promise in Acts 1 and 8 says that we shall receive power. The Greek word is dunamis. It's the word from which we derive our word dynamite. He gives us, believers, dynamic, dynamite power for victorious Christian living, praise God. I mean, you can have it. It's yours for the asking. You can believe you receive today the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for the Christian to be fully empowered by God without being baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's impossible for a church to have the spiritual growth that it ought to have, that it should have, and that it needs to have without the power of the Holy Ghost. And it's impossible for the preacher to be what he or she ought to be and might be without the infusion of Holy Ghost power. The power of the Holy Spirit is essential for dynamic Christian living. Amen? We want you to have it and we want you to receive it today in Jesus' name. Now as I've stated many times, it would be impossible for us to to exhaust 
<laughs> this subject. I'm telling you, it is just, it is so all-inclusive. You can study the Word of God for an entire lifetime, and you would not exhaust this subject. But right now, I want to give you some of the names of the Holy Spirit that's used in the Word of God. The names of the Holy Spirit describe His person. It describes uh, uh, a unique aspect of Him. Names are very important. Uh, in biblical times, a person's name had a special and unique meaning. And uh, so we understand that the Holy Spirit, uh, we can glean much insight into looking at what he is referred to, the names by which he is referred to in the Word of God. Uh, first of all, he's called the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. First um, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 asks, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? In Isaiah 61, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of the Lord Jehovah. Jehovah refers to the covenant-keeping God. Another name uh, used to demonstrate the Spirit's relationship to deity is the Spirit of the living God used in 2 Corinthians 3 and 3. Okay, Paul was writing to the people of Corinth. Uh, Corinth housed over 20 temples that were dedicated to different pagan gods. Paul was pointing out that our God <laughs> Hallelujah. Our God is alive in contrast to the pagan gods of those temples. The Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of His Son. The relationship of the Spirit to Jesus Christ is shown by a number of expressions in the Bible. First, there is the term the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8 9. Uh, the Holy Spirit activity. The Holy Spirit's activity in no way will ever contradict or conflict with the message or the mission of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that. The Godhead is in perfect agreement and unity at all times. The Holy Spirit's activity in no way will it ever contradict or conflict with the message or mission of Christ. Every act of the Spirit in the church is to glorify Christ. Every act of the Holy Spirit, every work that He performs, every deed that He does will always seek to glorify Christ. One's activities must glorify Christ or they are not in the Spirit. Understand this. He is further referred to as the Spirit of His Son in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ in Philippians 1, 19. There are many scriptures uh, that refer to the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Certain ones of, of that era accepted Jesus and others accepted Christ, but some did not accept both. Uh, listen, Jesus means Savior and Christ means Anointed One. And of course, Jesus is both the Savior and the Anointed One. So the name is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And a lot of times in my praying, when I'm coming against the enemy, I will come and pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
I mean, I just put it all in there. Hallelujah. And uh, the Lord knows and understands, and so does the enemy, incidentally. The Holy Spirit is also referred to as the spirit of judgment and also the spirit of burning. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved in the matter of justice and law and order. He also works in the area of purging. Hallelujah. He purges us. He purifies us. He consumes us. So we have parallel terms here. Spirit of burning, spirit of judgment. The Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, will not tolerate sin. Because he's holy. It, might, it may be said that he is the moral policeman of the universe. He is the chief agent of the justice department of God's kingdom. He is eternally committed. The Holy Spirit is eternally committed to exposing sin and evil wherever they exist. He reproves sin and does his best to turn people from it. Praise God. Let's read Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 4. Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 4. Again, we're teaching today on the attributes and symbols of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 4 and 4 it says, When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. It's also stated in Isaiah 28 verses 5 and 6 that in that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people, and for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. Praise God. So two of the names or terms used with reference to the Holy Spirit are the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. The reference to burning reminds us of the words of John the Baptist who spoke concerning Jesus, saying, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Matthew 3.11. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit burns out the dross in a person's life. Impurities are revealed and removed as the Holy Ghost brings conviction and judgment. As a person responds and is cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God works to convict individuals of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Praise the Lord. So they're working together uh, in that. The Spirit of God is also called the Spirit of grace and of supplications. The Spirit of grace and of supplications. He is God's communications officer carrying to the soul of man the divine invitation to come. Hallelujah. Revelation twenty two seventeen. And the Spirit and the bride say come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. The Holy Spirit is indeed the spirit of grace and of supplications. Hallelujah. In Zechariah 12, verse 10, we read, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. Hallelujah. Now listen, to, listen at this warning. Uh, 
in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 29. Listen to this. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? You see, it's the Holy Spirit that extends the grace of God to you and to me. The Holy Spirit stands for and represents the grace of God. And if we do despite to that, we cut ourselves off from God's offer of love and mercy and forgiveness. How marvelous, oh how marvelous, how precious is the grace of God. Grace is the unmerited, the undeserved love and favor of God. We don't deserve it, but because of grace we can receive it, amen? And it's the Holy Spirit that brings us the love, the mercy, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ into our lives. Amen. The Spirit of grace and of supplications. The Holy Spirit is the bringer of mercy, delivering the wayward heart to Jesus Christ, drawing them to their Savior. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit is indeed the Spirit of grace. My own heart, my own life has been deeply moved, deeply touched by the Spirit of grace. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of wisdom in revelation. He is the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. He reveals, now listen to this, the Holy Spirit reveals... The Holy Spirit illuminates, and the Holy Spirit gives spiritual insights. And for all of this stuff that we've just talked about, uh, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the illumination of the Holy Spirit, and the spiritual insights that he gives to us as believers, all of it will line up completely with Jesus Christ. And the purpose, again, I, I repeat this, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus Christ to the believer. Praise God. The Holy Spirit doesn't want any glory himself. He doesn't want to, to lift up his office above that of Christ. His desire is to point you and to point me to Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Jesus is worthy. He's the one that paid the price at Calvary's cross. Amen. Amen. Now let's read Exodus 28 and verse 3. Exodus 28 and 3. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. So there we have it. Let's look at Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, and we'll see that a number of facts about the Holy Spirit are revealed. Okay, Isaiah 11, 2 says this, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. 
The promise of Ephesians 1.17 is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Praise God. All knowledge and all revelation is wrapped up in the Holy Spirit. Praise God. A person, I mean, you know, it's the Spirit of God that will guide us to truth and wisdom and knowledge. A person can go through all the academic studies in Bible college and seminary and whatnot without believing much about the Bible or the atoning work of Jesus Christ, his miraculous birth, his life, his atoning death, etc., etc. You can have all the academic degrees in the world. And so many do today. And yet they do not believe the fundamentals of spiritual faith. All knowledge that comes from man or from structured theological thinking, my friends, from books written by individuals who were not inspired or led by the Holy Spirit. That's one thing. But if you want the truth, if you want true wisdom and revelation knowledge of God, the Holy Spirit has it. And how does the Holy Spirit work? We talked to you about this in the last series we did. How do you and I receive the help of the Holy Spirit even in our Bible study or our understanding and perceiving of truth? As we place our faith in what Jesus did at the cross... That's how we receive all knowledge. That guarantees us the help of the Holy Spirit. And he'll come and he'll teach us. Amen. I want to encourage you to only read books that are written by those who are full of the Holy Ghost. Only, only study behind those who are spirit-filled and spirit-led. Let the Holy Spirit become your teacher. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Counsel. The spirit of counsel and might. Hallelujah. He's powerful. The Holy Spirit. Might. The Holy Spirit uh, speaks to our spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to our human spirit, giving us counsel. He does not primarily speak to our physical senses or our human mind, but he speaks to our spirits. If you will listen with your spirit, to the Holy Spirit. He will guide you and lead you. He will give you counsel. He will give you knowledge. He will give you understanding. And he will give you guidance in the affairs of your life today. The Holy Spirit will. Yeah. Hallelujah. Again, let me state. Your faith must be properly placed in what Jesus Christ did at the cross of Calvary because that is what makes the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding and counseling and knowledge accessible to us as believers. Christ paid the price to make all of the benefits of the kingdom of God possible for you and for me. The Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of the Father. In Matthew 10, 20, we read this. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. He's called the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and there is no error in him. As the Holy Spirit leads and guides into a knowledge of truth, it is never contrary to the written word of God. 
For there is never any variation between the Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word agree, the Bible says. And Ephesians 6.17 calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. Amen. The sword of the Spirit. Actually, the Holy Spirit is the divine author of the Bible. I want you to understand that the prophets of old spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So the Holy Ghost will never contradict or deviate from his own word. Amen. The Bible is always, always, hear me church, the Bible is always the basis for any leading of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you are led by the Spirit, you will never be led contrary to the Word of God. Amen. The Holy Spirit always leads in order, uh, in direction that the Word has spoken. It's imperative that we be led by the Spirit of truth in order to avoid being led astray. And especially in these days of deception that we are in, in 2007 and beyond. Amen. Jesus said in John 14, 16 and 17, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Hallelujah. Whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You will never be in error when you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that. As long as you are willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, He will never lead you into error. He is the Spirit of truth. He will guide a person into all truth as promised in John 16, 13. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, we read, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And in verse 6, it says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It is the Holy Spirit that bears witness because the Holy Spirit is truth. One needs to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. Otherwise, that person will inevitably fall into error. Hallelujah. But if you have the Spirit of Truth operating fully within your life, you can be confident that you will be guided by truth. Amen. There is another aspect to this term, Spirit of Truth. The Hebrew word for truth is a word of activity. It means correct action. Hallelujah. God is identified in the Old Testament as the God who did things for Israel. He brought them out of bondage and led them. God led them to the promised land. He is the God of action. The God who acts. And so my friend is the name of the Holy Spirit implying that the Holy Spirit will always lead us with correct action. He will always, in Jesus' name. Now, also, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Holiness. Praise the Lord. How many today wants to hear some good teaching about holiness? Hallelujah. We sure need it. Yes, we do. Another name for the Holy Spirit, 
Uh, this is found in Romans chapter 1 verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And I want you to notice again the Holy Spirit and his working and operation is tied and linked directly to the message of the cross. Notice that. It's very important. Praise God. Uh, holiness is very significant and very beautiful. God is holy and all believers are to be holy. Isn't that beautiful? God is holy. He's so holy. We cannot even in our finite minds begin to comprehend the holiness of God. And believers are to be holy as well. Holiness is a positive matter. Holiness is achieved as we draw closer to God. And again, let me reemphasize God's prescribed order of victory and holiness. Place your faith in what Jesus did for you at the cross of Calvary. That guarantees the fact that the Holy Spirit will draw you closer to God. Hallelujah. Holiness is related to the idea of sanctification. And this involves the separating of an individual unto God. Now sanctification is a process that we're involved in as long as we live in this flesh. It's called progressive sanctification. And I believe that with all of my heart. I understand the theological ramifications that we are sanctified. Past tense, done, once already. We are being sanctified, present tense. Daily, continually, progressive. And one day in eternity future, we will be sanctified. So that covers past, present, and future. It's an ongoing process, an ongoing activity of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Amen. Holiness is not a rigid set of rules or standards to be imposed on individuals or groups. Often, when this happens... People develop pharisaical attitudes, holier-than-thou attitudes. Often they see holiness as a set of restrictions to which they and all others must conform as a demonstration of holiness. But listen, God knows our hearts. And if we are developing holiness in our lives, he is well aware of it without any outward display. True biblical holiness gives one a sweet and pleasant spirit, a new liberty and freedom in the Holy Spirit. This stands out in marked contrast to the bitter, fault-finding, critical attitude so often demonstrated by the Pharisees. We want to avoid religious snobbery. I want you to read 2 Corinthians 3.17. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Holiness produces a beautiful spirit and provides us with the qualities that are truly the beauty of holiness. In this spirit, there is the possibility of true worship. True worship. As well as a true and authentic demonstration and reflection of our relationship to Christ Jesus. Amen. The Holy Spirit's name, the Spirit of Holiness. In Romans 8 and 2, he is also called the Spirit of Life. For the law of the Spirit of Life 
in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And I just want to say there's only one law in the entire universe that's more powerful than the law of sin and death. You know what it is? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. This is the manner in which the Holy Spirit works. This is the manner in which we receive the help of the Holy Spirit. And again, I want you to get that two CD series on the help of the Holy Spirit and you can study more uh, more about all of that. Amen. <clears throat> so we see the law of the Spirit of life is sorely needed in our churches today. Nothing is more boring more, nothing's more boring and lifeless and depressing than a dead church service. I mean, I can't stand cold, formal, dried up, dead religious services. Amen. I want the life of the Holy Ghost. I want the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in that church service. Hallelujah. Without the Holy Spirit, a church service can be the ultimate expression of boredom. But I want to tell you today, spiritual matters are exciting. You want to talk about something exciting? What about redemption? What about salvation? What about the Christian life? What about heaven? Hallelujah. These are phenomenally exciting subjects. They are awesome. They're, they're tremendous. They're indescribable. The eternal abode of every child of God. What could be more exciting to talk about than that? And the Holy Spirit will help us to get our attention off the ball game and off the beach and off the busyness of our schedules. And he'll help us to make time for Jesus. Hallelujah. That we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't have to be told to do that. It shouldn't have to be legislated, praise God, if we've got the Holy Spirit operating in our hearts and lives. Because these are the exciting things of God. It stirs the deepest emotions when you begin to just meditate on and think about the, the, the sheer glory that awaits us. Hallelujah. The spirit of life. The spirit of life. It's exciting. The Lord Jesus Christ provided for our redemption at Calvary 2,000 years ago. The gospel is good news. It's the greatest news. It's the exciting great news. Hallelujah. Church, church should not be dead. Should not be boring. Amen. It should be one of the most pleasant experiences of the Christian life. Hallelujah. But in order for that to be the case... Churches need to allow God's Holy Spirit to run their services. The presence of the Holy Spirit should be a part of every church service because He is the Spirit of life. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, life personified. Hallelujah. Another name for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. Romans 8.15, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now that's a demon spirit, the spirit of bondage that causes us to fear. But we have received the spirit of adoption. That's the Holy Spirit. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There's great significance in this statement. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Through Him and only through Him can we become God's sons as we are adopted into the family of God. The Bible says in Romans 3 and 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
But through Christ, through Christ, provision has been made for the Holy Spirit to reconcile us to God again. Sin separates us from God. But Jesus shed blood provides forgiveness for our sins and cleansing for our hearts. The sin barrier is utterly removed and we are reconciled to God. Hallelujah. Sin stains are eradicated by the cleansing blood of Jesus. And this is another activity of the Holy Spirit. And through the spirit of adoption, we become children of the King Members of the family of God. He is also called the spirit of promise. The spirit of promise. On, a, on the day of Pentecost, the believers were assembling together waiting for the promise of the Father. You remember that. The promise of the Holy Ghost. This was prophesied uh, in the Old Testament in Joel 2.28. And you can read this account in Acts 2 verses 1 through 4 and verse 33. The Spirit should be for all flesh. Okay? It's a precious promise. We're told in Ephesians 1.13, After that ye believed, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I want you to understand something. Documents receive a stamp or a seal of approval upon them. Special important papers have this seal as a certification of their genuineness. You follow me? In New Testament times, this seal represented ownership. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit because it represents in the spirit realm that we're genuinely born again and we're the property of Almighty God. We're in the family of God. What a promise. Since we belong to God, once we become God's property by trusting and accepting Jesus as our Lord and Master, the Holy Spirit bears witness in our spirit that we are the children of God. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Read Romans 8, 16 and 17. Amen. Another name for the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of His Mouth. This might sound at first like a strange name or designation for the Holy Spirit. However, let's read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. The declarations of God are powerful. And anything that God ever says is significant. His word is likened to the sword of the spirit of Hebrews 4.12. In the combination of His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see a consuming force. As God's Word came, the Holy Ghost moved upon the apostles and the prophets of old to write the Word of God. And we discussed that with you. Another name for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Faith. Another name for the, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Glory and of God. Another name for the Holy Spirit, and I like this one, the Comforter. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Comforter. The Holy Spirit is our defense counsel, our legal assistant, our advocate, a spokesman for us. He intercedes on our behalf. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comforts us in our darkest times, 
And that's good gospel news. There are many other names and expressions used to identify the Holy Spirit. And all of them give insight into his nature and his function. They all relate to the work of the Holy Spirit as a part of the Trinity. Amen. Now, as we close our lesson, and I pray that I pray that you're learning uh, from this today. It's been a blessing to me just to teach it. Praise God. Uh, I want to look at the symbols of the Holy Spirit, some of the symbols that are used in the Word of God for the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's talk a moment about the purpose of symbols. Um, these are types, suggestions, and representations of the Holy Spirit. They're like a parable compared to a clear, concise, factual account of something. They are like a logo or a trademark that brings a company to mind. In other words, they are not the company, but they represent the company. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not the symbol, but it, the symbol represents the Holy Spirit. Amen? The first one I want you to look at, uh, well, let's say this too. Symbols are for the purpose of illuminating, giving new insight or understanding. They are not supposed to obscure or to become a substitute, replacing that which they symbolize. So we understand oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not oil, but oil represents the Holy Spirit. We can look in Exodus 29.7, Exodus 29.30, or Exodus chapter 30, whichever it is there. Uh, Leviticus 8. We read in Psalm 133.2, it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down the skirts of his garments. Oil was used so abundantly in the Old Testament that it ran down the beard and saturated the very garments of the priest as they were ordained into the great priestly office. Okay? It's a type of the Holy Spirit. It's a type of the Holy Spirit. A symbol. You know, God looks at our hearts before He anoints us. And sometimes it doesn't look like to the world that we should be anointable but God looking at our heart knows that we're just exactly the one he's going to anoint in Exodus 27 20 oil is described as the fuel for the lamp in the holy place a lamp that was to burn eternally the lamp itself as well as the oil was a type of the Holy Spirit this lamp was never to go out but due to the failure of the priest which represented all of Israel, really. It did. You see, Samuel was getting old, and he speaks of the lamp going out because the high priests neglected the duties of the temple. Ladies and gentlemen, believers, do not neglect the duties of your temple. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. Be receptive to the Holy Spirit. There are other references to the, to the oil as it re pertains and refers to the Holy Spirit. Mark 6.13 uh, tells us that we are to anoint the sick with oil. James 5 and 14 also says to anoint with oil and pray for the sick. The emphasis on oil 
is to teach us that the Holy Spirit is totally involved in the spiritual life of the believer in Christ. We're kings and priests, and we are to minister. Oil is a beautiful and appropriate symbol because oil penetrates. Now, now here are ways that oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Oil penetrates. The Holy Spirit does too. It permeates. It saturates, soothes, moistens, protects, and lubricates. Oil eliminates friction and abrasion. Now apply that to the work of the Holy Spirit. And you'll begin to see what a symbol this really is. Praise God. Oil purges and cleanses. And if it's burned, its energy radiates light and warmth. Some kinds of oil are edible and have great nutritional value. Psalm 23.5, thou anointest my head with oil. Psalm 92.10, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. So we see that oil is a beautiful symbol of the Holy Spirit. Also, another appropriate symbol of the Holy Spirit is the dove. Look in Luke 3.22, it mentions the Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And there are several reasons why God uses a dove to represent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's influence and workings are always gentle. Which is a bit in contrast uh, to the methods of God the Son. When Jesus came to die on Calvary, neither sinners, devils, nor all the hordes of hell could stop him. He died on Calvary whether they liked it or not. God the Father determines the workings of this world. The seasons come and go. And many things are determined by God that atheists devils and demons could never alter. The work of the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is often quite different. He is either hindered or helped by our reaction to his leadings. When antagonistic or negative attitudes exist in us, the Holy Spirit will not remain. You understand that? There is no great outburst, no clap of thunder, but the presence of the Holy Ghost is no longer felt. The Holy Spirit is gentle like a dove. Therefore, you and I must walk softly and quietly before God the Holy Spirit. We must walk softly before God. We must be humble before God. And, and He'll teach us how to do that. The Holy Spirit is symbolized by a dove. Oh, the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. In His own sweet, quiet way, the Holy Ghost will gently nudge us when we fail to be restrained as He desires us to be. The Holy Spirit will point out our impatiences and our other faults that can quench the Spirit. If one's Spirit is charged up, overactive or abrasive, it will stop the Holy Spirit from moving on Him. The Holy Spirit doesn't react with a physical body or brain, but rather with one's spirit. The Holy Spirit is gentle as a dove, and this is why God uses that beautiful symbol when Jesus was baptized. Another symbol of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is living water. Praise God. Read John 7, 37-39. Let's look at Isaiah 44 and 3 together. For I will pour out water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessings upon thy offspring. Isaiah 44 and 3. 
It is God's promise and his desire to pour out of his spirit. Joel 2.28, Acts 2.17, the term pour out suggests an overflowing and inflowing as of a river breaking loose. Hallelujah. How many today want the Holy Ghost to break loose in your life? Well, he's symbolized by living waters that will do just that. Place your faith in what Jesus did at Calvary. Hallelujah. And we can have the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you need a river. You need the river of the Holy Ghost. Find a church where the river is and then leap in it. Don't go to a church that resembles a dry riverbed. Go where the river's flowing. Go where people are raising their hands and praising the Lord. Go where people are becoming Christ-like, where souls are being saved, lives are being changed. Make no excuses. Just do it. Jump in a river. Hallelujah. Jump in where the river's flowing. Hallelujah. When you find the Spirit of God moving, that's where you'll find divine refreshment flowing. Hallelujah. I want to tell you this as kindly as I know how to say. But listen, my, my beloved believer friend today, get out of these dead, boring, dried up churches. And get into a church where people aren't afraid to shout the praises of God. Come on, man, we're in the last of the last days. Let's go to a real church where they'll shout the praises of God and where they'll clap their hands and worship the Lord and where they'll lift their hands. Let's go to places where they pray for the sick, where miracles are taking place. Let's go where the river of the Holy Ghost is flowing and leave those dead as dried up bird's nest of last year's churches. Love them, but leave them and get in the river of the Holy Ghost. The living water. Praise God. That's my best advice to you where that's concerned today. Praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I pray you've enjoyed this lesson today as we've given you some background information on the person of the Holy Spirit. There's many characteristics, names, and symbols for the Holy Spirit and all of them reveal so very much to us about His nature and activities. There is an intrinsic relationship to God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit is one member of the Trinity, the third member. He does the work of God. Jesus said that he would return to the Father and send us the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus and the ways of God as he moves in the hearts and lives of believers. And that, again, is why we need you, we want you and desire you to get into a living, dynamic, Holy Spirit church. I can't emphasize that enough as we close this lesson today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving me the time today to teach the believers what you put on my heart, the attributes and symbols of the Holy Spirit and the names of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you so much as we've looked at the Holy Spirit and his role within the Godhead. Lord, bless my friend, bless my partner as we study the word together. Open up your word to us, Lord. Teach us of your ways. Teach us about the precious Holy Spirit today. And we ask it and we believe we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I pray that this has been a blessing 
and a help to your spiritual lives today. For more information about Acts 2618 Ministries, or you can simply write Paxton Ministries, that's fine. You can write to us at Post Office Box 5714, that's P.O. Box 5714 in Traverse City, Michigan, 49696. That's 49696. And I'll, I'll be looking forward to hearing from you. Praise God. And we want to send you a product catalog with all of our teachings listed in it there. And also, we send us your prayer request. We believe in a prayer answering God in this ministry. And we want to see uh, our faith joined with your faith. And we can reach out and touch the Lord. And as we place our faith in what Jesus did at Calvary, the Holy Spirit will come and help us in these last days. And we'll get into the victory of God and we'll get the job done. Amen. So until the next time that we can gather around the word of God together, this is Evangelist Len Paxton saying, Go with God. Place your faith in the cross. And he will go with you. Amen. Bless you now is my sincere prayer. 16.